0: This episode of The Minimalists is brought to you by Nobody, because advertisements suck. This podcast has bad words. (laughs) Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing
1: you think that you need Every little thing
2: that's just feeding your greed, oh I bet that you'd be fine without it.
0: Hello everybody, welcome to the Minimalist Podcast where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus and together we are the Minimalists. Today we're going to talk about that empty feeling we all experience from time to time Mm -hmm. and the things we do to try to fill the void. We're going to do that with our returning champion. Jeanette McCurdy's here. Yeah, welcome.
1: Thank you. So happy to be here. Yeah,
0: thanks for coming back. Yeah. Uh, Last time we were sort of talking about toxic fame when you were on here. Since then, you've launched a podcast. I want to talk to you a bit about the podcast, which is called Empty Inside. And so on this minimal version today, we're going to be talking about that empty feeling that I think we all experience from time to time, how we can sort of form a detente with that. But then on the maximal, I do want to talk to you about... Filling the void in the different ways, some healthy, unhealthy ways. Maybe they're all unhealthy ways mm-hmm. that we try to fill the void. Talk to me about that, that episode or um, the, the title of your podcast, Empty Inside
3: it's kind of exactly what you're talking about it's definitely it started from this place of god we all feel that feeling we all get empty and we all try and desperately fill that void with one thing or another what's healthy what's not healthy i've definitely used my fair share of unhealthy uh, coping slash filling mechanisms and i'm working toward trying to find healthier filling mechanisms Day.
0: It seems mm. to me that you, we were on your podcast. Yeah. And, uh, Thank
3: you guys for coming on. That was so fun.
0: It was such a great conversation. Yeah. In fact, great. it sparked an essay that I shared with you that we'll probably read on the Maximal. But uh, right now, I, I want to talk to you about that empty feeling because I think sometimes where, where we go is we think, well, I'm going to fill this void with sort of healthier things. And, and, and right now, we just try to fill the void, right? You know, Ryan and I, we tried to fill the void with stuff. Mm-hmm and when that didn't work we tried to fill the void with success Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we felt empty and and yet it was like well i just haven't had enough success or enough money or enough achievements enough trophies enough trinkets right yeah and and so we don't really know what enough is but Mm -hmm. it's certainly more than what we have right now but i think that manifests in other ways as well how did that manifest for you
3: My biggest one was, excuse me, I had uh, eating disorders for 13 years, and it was this constant chase of feeling like if I could just have a better eating disorder, have the right eating disorder. For example, Mm -hmm. I had bulimia, and when I had bulimia, I wanted to have anorexia. So unhealthy. um, It makes me so sad now. I feel like I wasted my life. I feel like, or 13 years of it. Um, Although I guess I can say, you know, I learned some things and definitely wouldn't go back there, and who knows where I'd be if I hadn't had that uh trying experience but i i definitely feel like that was my main coping mechanism
2: Mm -hmm. yeah is it it because um it was like this sense of control that you had a
3: hundred percent okay it was all about control for me i felt like everything else in my life was either my mother's decision or my manager's decision decision or my Mm -hmm. agent's decision or the network's decision i felt like there were so many people in my life making every decision for me i really felt like i had no uh, authority over myself and i think that uh, the control over my food and body or the control that I felt like I had was the thing that made me feel like I can at least control this.
2: Yes. interesting. So it, to me, it sounds like the void was, uh, in, in this sense was, uh, the lack of choices that you felt like you had. It's, yeah. That's interesting. Totally fair. Yeah. Yeah, it just makes me think how that void can come from many different places. Yeah. And if we look at the void as like a symptom, then we can kind of maybe dig deeper into, well, why are we experiencing that void? Um, Yeah, everyone experiences it for different reasons.
0: Well, ours is a listener-driven show. I thought we'd dive into some questions here. We have one from Instagram, Ryan. Veronique. All right. Despite our higher quality of life, the void remains.
2: We live richer lives materialistically, yet we feel more empty. Why?
0: What is the disconnect between our way of life and happiness? So... I don't think that we're chasing happiness. I think ch- happiness is actually... Ch- the chase of happiness is one of the problems. And, and you mm. experienced this with, how do I get the better eating disorder? Mm. Even when you say that out loud, you realize the absurdity of yes. it. But it's the same thing with our stuff. It was like, well, I have a Lexus. That's not really doing it for me. So how do I have... You know, well, two Lexuses make me happy, <laughs> right? Mm. And it was like, well, I thought so, but why did I think so? so? So where does this come from I mean I think ultimately it comes from society and culture and we can sort of talk about the difference between the two you can't change your society we're all sort of steeped in society unless you do the Ted Kaczynski thing and sort of move into a cabin in the middle of nowhere which Ryan and I tried for four <laughs> Which months. Which we actually did do. Um, when did you guys do that? But we were productive.
2: We, uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, one might say that he was too. Well, <laughs> I feel like he was running from the void, where we were embracing it. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, or maybe he was. He, you know, there, there, he had a lot of mental issues that I think uh, were actually oh, yeah. caused by by the society he was steeped in initially, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so. Uh, we did this back in 2012. We, we moved out to Mo- middle of Montana, middle of nowhere, cabin on the side of a mountain sort of as a reset. It was a cool experiment. I wouldn't want to do that in perpetuity. And so when I, when I say society, it's just society writ large. Our culture, we sort of get to determine our culture, although most of us don't actually do it. We don't do it willingly. It is thrust upon us. So it's our peer group, right? If we're Mm -hmm. at a school or if you happen to be on a television show, all of a sudden that becomes the culture in which you are acculturated into. Mm. And do you think that society and culture in in your life it it played a role in some of those disorders?
3: I definitely think. I think being in Hollywood period, you know, just from a very young age, you're told these things of like, oh well if you look younger for your age, you'll book more roles. Mm -hmm. And you're hearing that at nine, so you're thinking, well, if I can look six, that'll be that'll help my career. Oh my God. <laughs> So it's like, oh, wow. that was definitely a contributing factor to anorexia for sure, which I, I um, first developed when I was 11.
0: Mm. Mm. Wow. Wow. And, and so, so I think that we have all of these influences around us and many, many of the times it's sort of well intentioned. Mm-hmm. And so if I go back to Veronique's question here, the disconnect between our way of life and happiness, the, the disconnect is actually the chase, the chase for happiness. So that's oh. always leads to some sort of yeah, it, you, you find the void pretty quickly there when, when you understand that, oh, wait a minute. As I'm chasing happiness, the thing that I'm actually getting from it is misery. I, I thought that the things would bring me more joy, more contentment, but they're bringing the opposite. It's not peace. It's chaos. Mm-hmm. And we go searching for peace as though peace can be acquired but you never acquired peace peace is already sort of there and what we do is we we cover it up with our own proclivities our own desire to control everything i know as well when I, when i was a child you know ryan and i had both both had dysfunctional households growing up and and the need for control was pretty dramatic i felt like i didn't have control for anything and and therefore i would control anything that i could i developed ocd as a kid yeah. a, as a result
2: he had the cleanest room a fifth grader has ever had <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I remember how nice and tidy and clean your room always <laughs> was
0: that's wild <laughs> yeah. so so yet we feel more empty she says mm. we live richer lives materialistically yeah mm. we're, we're wealthier now like even your average person who grew up poor like us right you, you think about us growing up poor or someone who's in that circumstance especially now in 2021 that person has more wealth material wealth mm-hmm. than kings from the 1800s yeah. they have they can have air conditioning or just electricity yeah a phone that Door you I can... In bathrooms? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, and, and so you have you, you have all of this stuff, but it actually... The problem is there that we're trying to fill the void with some stuff. We have a question here uh, from M on Facebook. Um, can, let me say one thing
2: about uh, Veronique's question. Um, I feel like in the question, she talks about, well, we, we're more rich than ever. We have a higher quality life than ever. What is the disconnect? And for me, when you put the when you put your well-being uh not your well-being but your your sense of self i guess on your quality of life i mean that's kind of the problem right where you think well well man i should be happy because i have an indoor bathroom Mm. and i have a Mm decent-sized bank account so why am i not happy but the problem might be because you're leaning on those things to uh to fill that void
0: well maybe challenge the question here then yeah Jeanette, uh, yes, we do have a higher quality of life materialistically, but I would argue that we don't have a higher quality of life. We we sort of have the opposite. Mm -hmm. We have a lower quality of life. Mm -hmm. We are sicker than ever before uh, as a society, you know, in terms of chronic illness and disease, stress, anxiety, discontent. How is that a higher quality of life? It seems to me that it isn't. So Mm -hmm. ostensibly, you had the perfect life, and people saw it, and they were like, oh, that's what I want. But you didn't want it.
3: No, absolutely not. And uh, actually, a big thing that I did to help my mental health was I quit acting. And it was a thing that everyone in my circle was saying, why would you quit this? Like, you know, people work so hard to have any degree of success. You 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 can't quit your career. This mm. is such a stupid decision. Even my family members were saying things like that. And I just knew that I had to do it. I knew that it was... Uh, not serving me anymore. And it was definitely difficult. It wasn't an easy thing. It wasn't like, oh, I just call my agent and say, oh, I'm done. Uh, it definitely took months of of gaining up the courage to be able to walk away from something like that. And it's, it was also very confusing for me because I felt like that should be a thing that should make me happy. Hmm. I, I was successful at a career that is hard to be successful at, but yeah. it was really, really uh, unpleasant and and quite frankly, damaging for me.
0: Mm. I see a lot of parallels between her story and, and ours, right? Because mm. like, the same thing happened when we walked away from the corporate world. Mm-hmm. It was, oh, my God, you've spent 12 years climbing the corporate ladder. You're in are crazy. Yeah. 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 And, and in fact, a lot of the people who said you were crazy, they had some sort of tie to that. They felt that our success also tied them to success in some way. Mm. So I'm sure you saw that not just with parents and family the people around you I want to be a friend with this quote unquote successful person yes Mm. let's talk about that
3: Uh, yeah I definitely lost some friends like it was very telling uh, who was sort of you know less available or less interested Mm. Uh, it, it was it was very telling
2: That's almost like a blessing in disguise, right? Yeah, it's like you get to find out who your friends are immediately. That's the same thing that happened when we called ourselves the minimalists. I mean, we found out really quickly who our true friends were.
3: It's it's amazing though. It's I would so much rather have a few really great friends and know that those friendships are trusted and true than have you know dozens or hundreds, whatever how many friends you can you have, but like you know excessive where they just they aren't really that impactful yeah Yeah, they
0: they become acquaintances my grandma
2: used to always tell me she's like one day because my cousin and i uh when we were i don't know second third fourth grade something we were comparing how many friends we had (laughs) i don't even know why we were doing this but i remember having this conversation we're sitting there we're listing all our friends (laughs) and my grandma was like you kids are crazy like when you get to be my age you'll be lucky if you can uh you know just count uh, a number of good friends on one hand She was like, trust me, you'll realize when you get older. And it's one of those things as a kid, you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, But I had, you know, I went to a birthday party and there were 15 kids there and they're all my friends. Mm. Um, But yeah, uh, it's true. It's absolutely true. It's like one of those things that that, that when you're young, you don't understand. But as I'm older, I'm like, oh yeah, like it is on one hand that I can count like my really true, awesome friends. I have a lot of acquaintances sure, and a lot of people I hang out with, but you know, people that I could, you know, ask. To uh, help me hide a dead body. I mean, <laughs> I can count those people on one hand.
3: How old were you when you wrote the the friend, or when you were going over your friends with your friend With my cousin. Or I think cousin. it was thirty
2: eight. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. This is just like a couple months ago. No, this I was probably in the fourth grade.
3: I feel like it's a thing at that age. I remember I I saw a journal entry of mine when I was like probably probably around the same age, and I listed out all my friends from church, and then I also listed Ryan Seacrest <laughs> as a friend of mine because I had like played his daughter for the day on his radio show, oh, true. which She's like very generous to give somebody who you spent two hours with one day yeah. <laughs> who doesn't remember your name the label of friend.
2: Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. I think Ryan Seacrest is a friend to all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's America's friend. That's right. He's America's true. Friend. If if I was him, that would definitely be my Twitter bio. America's friend. <laughs> America's friend. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. although I will say this, and and Jeanette, you you read our book. You were so gracious and gave us a, a really I great blurb. I love
3: the book. Yeah. Oh, thank I love it you. so much. I love you guys went deeper into your your own kind of backgrounds and childhoods than i'd ever seen you go and i was all about it
0: thank you uh the book is called love people use things you can pre-order it right now it does help us out a lot love people use and you can even check out Jeanette's um blurb i think it'll be up on the sales page as well by the time this comes out now mm-hmm. i will say this in there we talk about there are three different types of relationships in our life the sort of primary relationships you can usually count those on one hand as mm-hmm. ryan is indicating here two if you're mormon or catholic <laughs> um, which I was. Yeah, yeah, and, um, and and then you have like the secondary relationships. These are your coworkers and friends and, and, and more distant family. And it's not that one group is better than the other. It's just we misprioritize our friendships, as you alluded to, because we have this tertiary group or what we call the peripheral relationships. And, you know, there could be 100 people, especially for extroverts like Ryan. He probably has 100, 150 people in that periphery. And and th- that's not wrong. The problem in my own life is I was pr- prioritizing those people. You know, Ryan Seacrest was getting all <laughs> of my attention. <laughs> and, and the people closest to me were the people I forsook. And the problem with that is they often understand short term, right? Oh, you're off just being successful. and mm. But long term, there's a resentment or a discontent that builds. And, and because every relationship sort of has that us box in the middle of us, mm. and and. When I stop giving to the us, us box and I'm still taking from it, what, what is that going to lead to? It's always going to lead to resentment mm-hmm. in some way. Do you feel like any of your relationships, there were people who were taking a whole lot from that box and, and not giving? Or were you ever that person?
3: Um, I definitely think my mom took from that box, mm-hmm. for uh, sure. Like, yeah. 100%. That, that's, that was the most uh, difficult and closest relationship of my entire life, by far. Um, I'm yep. trying to think if there's an example in probably more so in relationships in like intimate relationships i'm the taker of the box and then in friendships i'm definitely like i i want there to be more space like i wish there would there was less Mm. does that make sense yeah Yeah. like i think i'm more needy in relation in intimate relationships and in friendships i'm like ah it's fine
0: where where (laughs) do you think that stems from
3: uh you tell me i wish i knew and i'm working on it and i would like for this to be better
0: yeah yeah i mean this probably has something to do with expectations right Mm. um Mm. in, in, in terms of whenever we ask for something from someone it is because we expect that it should be a particular way and, and in fact, you know, we heavily moralize everything in our culture, especially American or Western culture, where you know we say you you you, know, you should do this or you shouldn't do that, or or you know you you should eat this particular way and not mm-hmm. eat this way, and and I think in our relationships that's also true, where it's like I, you you're supposed to behave a particular way. Well, I'm inventing that way. There, there's no natural way. There's no natural order for a a. Intimate or monogamous relationship in in our in our lives. In fact, that's you know we, we had a guest on recently who was talking about how it was sort of an invention of the uh, the Catholic Church around the fourth century. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to say that it's wrong or that we shouldn't do that, but like understanding, like wait a minute, this isn't the natural order, the way things are supposed to be. We are de- we're determining. Oh wait, here are my expectations. I, I'm thrusting them onto you. And therefore, I'm going to be discontented every time you don't meet these expectations.
3: Right, mm. right.
0: Yeah. Mm.
3: When it's an invisible expectation, like that wasn't set up. And sh- I remember actually in one episode, uh, you mentioned something with your wife about uh, phone calls or, or setting the expectation that you, I think you're not a phone talker. Is yeah. that correct?
0: Yeah, that's true. And that
3: stuck out at me is so, like, I think that's so important to relationships is setting that expectation early on and going, like, this is what I'm comfortable with, this is what I'm not comfortable with, so that it's not this, like, learning curve, this jolt of a learning curve every time you come to those bumps in the road where it's like, oh, we completely have different expectations here.
2: Yeah, it's like, if Josh never said that to Bex. And she would call him and try to talk to him on the phone. And he's constantly being short with her and pushing her off. Right. And then eventually, you know, he's like, yeah, you need to stop calling me. I don't like that. Well, Bex didn't know you didn't like that. Yeah. So to set those expectations up front is so important because you can't thrust an expectation on someone if they have no idea of your expectation that you have. Yeah, yeah, it's
3: amazing, and that that uh you, you that anecdote on the podcast uh, has helped my boyfriend and I tremendously. Uh, so in, thank in what you. Ways? Awesome. Uh, that sort of set the stage for us to say our expectations early on. Uh-huh. Um, I shared with him that clip of the podcast, and he was like, "This is incredible. This is how we should be operating." And so that's now anytime something comes up, first we'll be like, "Oh, this is what I expect, or this is how I kind of operate, and this is what's comfortable for me." And we just get it out ahead of time. It's saved us, I think, so much uh, drama. Oh,
0: ha- have awesome. you ever read some thoughts about relationships by Colin Wright? no it's uh my favorite relationship book and uh in there it's each chapter is really short one or two page policy it's like a relationship policy that he has in his own life and Mm. so one in there for example is the I will tell you policy and because I don't know if you ever do this but um in most of my relationships like if something feels a little bit off usually it's me but like I'm projecting onto them and (laughs) what's the first thing I'll say Uh, is everything okay yeah, and, and, and I, mean, yeah. I, don't, I mean I don't know if you've experienced that. <laughs> is everything okay? And then you run around all day saying that four or five times, mm-hmm. and really all I'm saying is, hey, something's not okay with me. <laughs> yeah. And, and and now I'm I'm thrusting that onto you. And so the I will tell you policy is one example of like, hey, if something's mm-hmm. wrong, I will tell you. And and even now, like if it comes up bex will be like hey is everything okay I'm but like, yes i will tell you if it's not mm-hmm. but the the mm-hmm. flip side of that is i have to be honest about that if something is up i do have to be willing to have that conversation and not mm. wait until it blows up mm. i yeah. have to be willing to say yes i will tell you if something is off yeah. and it leads to some more difficult conversations in the short term but never any explosions as a result right yeah, right. yeah it's a phenomenal book I, I i recommend it to everyone yeah. um Megan in Boston has a question for us.
3: I have found it hard to describe to people my views because they are too caught up in the rat race to slow down and think with me. I'm curious to know if you have some suggestions on good elevator pitch style descriptions of this minimalist lifestyle. Something to get someone interested in sitting down and thinking and talking with me.
0: So, Jeanette, Ma- Megan has a, this interesting question. Y- when you were first exposed to minimalism, I don't know that anyone gave you an elevator pitch necessarily. Mm-hmm. I-, I can understand, you know, my elevator pitch is simple: minimalism is the thing that gets us past the things. And mm. and, and if if you, it, because that really opens up the door for conversation. But we really opened it up. Like when Ryan came to me, I never jumped up and said, "I'm a minimalist. You need to be a minimalist too," mm-hmm. <laughs> because <laughs> that doesn't work. That's like I'm Mormon, and now you need to be Mormon as well. Right? right? It's like, well, no, I I am not trying to convert. Ryan into minimalism. It's Nor funny I is always trying to convert you into being a Jehovah's Witness. That is true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember your dad used to like do Watchtower studies with me and my brother. And, oh my god. Um, yeah. Anyway, oh god. Uh, you you stumbled into to minimalism. Other people have asked you about this thing mm. called minimalism. How have you approached it with other people?
3: Um, I let me think. I'm trying to think if there's a. I don't have a I don't have a short sort of answer here.
0: It's always like here. Watch this documentary, okay. right? <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure. the, the thing is, I I I like I like this answer because it's not really about trying to convince anyone of anything. Mm. And and I think that's too often what we want to do. Even a moment ago, when I said I recommend Colin's book. I don't actually mean that. I don't want you to read. it. I'm not trying to convince you to read it. What I'm really saying is, it was helpful for me. Mm. And because it was helpful for me it may or may not be helpful for other people Mm. in fact Bex and I sat down and read that book chapter by chapter when we first started dating and it helped us set some ground rules and some expectations have some conversations and I think the same thing can be true with minimalism or any other way of living in fact Minimalism sounds like an ideology because it, it's ism. Right. It means the ideology yeah. of less mm-hmm. in a way. But to me, it's the only ism without an ideology because we're not prescribing anything. And I'm certainly not tr- proselytizing. I'm not trying to convince you that this is the best way to live yeah. it may not be especially if you're contented with the status mm. quo i found a lot of people are discontented by the status quo and and that's you know we we often say this podcast welcomes anybody but it's not for everybody yeah and and because of that, that. oh because of that it is it's clear that I'm not saying you should do this, you should be a minimalist, you should be a minimalist. Mm -hmm. I, I don't really have a definitive elevator pitch. My elevator pitch is always when someone asks about it Then I can answer questions that they have About their own curiosities
3: Actually now that I think about it back toward the Beginning of when I was first finding out about it And so intrigued by the ideas behind It uh, I didn't tell Really anybody they just knew that I was getting rid of a bunch Of my stuff and then I sold my house and and it was sort Of I think it was confusing for them and I uh, Maybe I actually felt some Shame around it because it was so different from What Mm -hmm. everybody in my social circle Sort of was used to and And you know my friends would come and be like you can't be getting Rid of this or like those shoes are expensive or like whatever you know the the thought would be mm-hmm. and I think now it's a much more familiar uh, topic and I think people are much more kind of comfortable discussing it and they everybody's at least heard of it and in some, in some yeah. way shape or form and, and so now I feel like it, it's a much more exciting time to be able to open that conversation and have it with people versus like I don't know 10 years ago or whatever when it was a bit more under the radar
0: yeah. you know it's funny you mentioned shame because I've never talked about this but I think I I felt some shame early on around it as well really yeah, because you know the ro- World Ryan and I were in it was you know it was achievement and it was uh, wanting more. Mm. It was always wanting more. Mm. And in mm. fact the, it was the sort of it was a parody of wanting more in a way, <laughs> right? Yeah. Sure. It, it wasn't Wolf of Wall Street but it was like 2 degrees b- <laughs> below that where it was a lot of boys club, a lot of um men, white men in particular, who were in positions of power. And the thing I've learned recently is power is sort of the obverse of freedom in a way. But by by getting or, or wanting or maintaining power... We actually give up freedom and we take other people's freedom as well Mm. but having power having dominion over someone means they're not free to make all of their own decisions and ryan and i had a lot of power i managed 150 retail stores with plenty of employees and uh realized like i had some sort of dominion over those people and in a way i was responsible for draining bits of their freedom Mm. and How did I justify that? Well, by saying that I was successful, that I was living my best life and and I was doing what I was supposed to do, moralizing it uh, as well. And so when I I was doing what I was supposed to do, if I did something that was the opposite of that, like minimalism, Mm. it was like, oh, this is not what I'm supposed to do. Mm. And there's shame around that, right? You're so programmed. Anytime we feel like we're doing something that we're not supposed to do then we're going to feel that shame. Yeah, Yeah, and I I assume that shame is manifested in different ways for you, especially with the the eating disorder stuff. But then also, even the the walking away from that career that you had, there is some shame in there. And it could be other people shaming you, Mm -hmm. telling you it's the wrong thing to do. But then also, I think there's a lot of self-talk there. We tell ourselves it's the wrong thing to do. Mm -hmm. And for
3: the first few years after those major life decisions, I started doubting myself very intensely and thinking, well, did I just do those things? Was this all just, um, were these all just repercussions to my mom dying? Like, did I just quit acting because it was what my mom wanted me to do? Should I have stayed with with it? Did I just leave the house because of my mom? Like, is this all just because of my mom? Did I make not only one, but like every possible big life decision mistake all at the same time? Mm. Uh, And especially when there was no success sort of backing up the new career that I was pursuing, Mm -hmm. it was like, well, I just fucked everything. up. I just Mm -hmm. threw my life away for what? Uh, and it was very, very difficult. And then, you know, sort of little by little, I gained confidence, I guess just maybe with the, maybe it's just a self-trust thing. You know, I didn't, I didn't have any external validation at that point in my Mm -hmm. life. Um, but I think it was an important phase for me to go through to sort of find some of that self-trust because I don't think I had really any before making those decisions and facing those, uh, demons for lack of a better term.
2: Yeah. I I think that confidence probably came from consistency. Mm. Like whenever we, whenever we make that major life change, there's always going to be a little bit of doubt. It's going to, you know, it's, it's uh, untested waters, but once we get enough consistency of that new way of living yeah. that's where i think the confidence really really comes in
3: so interesting that's that seems definitely true
0: i do want to talk about that self trust also i want to talk about self care to a great extent we're going to talk about that on the maximum also you know that i think success does not exist and we're going to talk about that Ooh. as well because um, I do think that we get so caught up in this idea of success, but I think all success is failure. And uh, I know that sounds like a, so interesting. A, a a bold statement, but we have an essay we could talk about. But also, you and I had a conversation about this on your podcast. I want to go deeper on that. Mm-hmm. But before we do that, Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It is time for our lightning round, where we answer your text messages. Text your questions and comments to 937-202-4654. Yeah, Ryan and I, both of those th- those those texts go to both of our phones mm-hmm. uh we respond to a lot of people um we don't <laughs> respond to everyone we just can't but uh we do respond to some folks here on the podcast now Jeanette you probably remember that during the lightning round this is where Ryan and I and our guests we do our best to answer questions with a short shareable less than 140 character response <gasps> we put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you like and now you can find all of our minimal maxims in one place thanks to Jess um, that place is minimalmaxims.com. Oh, right. really? We can, we can ramble on it, but you don't have to ha- have 140 characters. <laughs> I was
3: going to say, I try to be a minimalist, but not with like <laughs> talking. Podcast channel <Sean> will
0: make <laughs> it look really nice and. Podcast. Yeah, he makes okay.
2: everything tweetable. Yeah. Cool. All right, Audra's Thanks, got a yeah. question here. I'd like to hear more about suggestions of things people should do. Uh oh. <laughs> <gasps> <laughs> yes, filling our voids with stuff isn't good, but what is good? There's a lot of words here that are um yes yeah uh, the urge to consume needs to be replaced by
0: something else meaningful. Okay so so let's just say this um there are a lot of words here that you've been acculturated to believe right? Yeah. And so you've been taught that stuff is going to make you happy and then you've been taught the well no it's not the stuff that's going to make you happy it has to be something else Mm. here's my pithy answer and then we can we can sort of uh riff on it a bit chasing the good binds us to the bad Mm. and so whenever we're looking for well what's the good alternative to this i'm now tethering myself to the bad side of things when i say i'm when i'm denouncing or renouncing stuff I'm forever tied to it. Instead of renouncing stuff, I can simply rena- not renounce. I can walk away from the attachment. I can be non attached to stuff because Ryan and I still have stuff. I, I clearly am not an ascetic. I, you know, we have microphones and clothes and, and and couches and um and and what I've recognized here is that as soon as because at first, especially when I felt that shame early on, I thought that minimalism. I was confused. Minimalism was about renouncing my stuff. Well, no, we're not monks, right? Mm-hmm. It's not It's not about getting rid of all of our things. It's about an understanding. And understanding the things I thought were going to make me happy are actually the objects of my discontent. They're making me miserable. It doesn't mean I have to let go of everything. It just means that the, the act of letting go of the attachment will make room for something else. Now, Audra's question is, what is that something else? She says, the urge to consume needs to be replaced by something else meaningful. Mm. I think that's a mistake. And you recognize this early on. When you left that acting career, what do I replace that with? <laughs> and you say, well, and then I replace it with something. That's not making me happy either. Well, it's not making me successful either. Mm-hmm. I think the success is going to lead me to happiness. And, and of course, the void remains what stands out to me is the the words should
2: the words good and the words needs which is really just another way to say should Uh Mm. and for all intents and purposes and josh and i've talked about this a lot um over the last few podcasts about there really are no shoulds and that's probably where i used to get stuck a lot because well really going back to uh V- v- veronique's question veronique's question Veronique's question. where you know i thought to myself well i've got a nice job title i get to go on vacations i have a new car i have a house mm. um you know I'm, I'm my dating life is great i should be happy mm. people would kill to be in this position i should be appreciative of this mm. and those shoulds are really what kind of um prevented me from exploring different uh ways of life Um, it just, it limited me to what I, what I could do because I had all these shoulds and then, you know, good is really perspectival, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. you, um, are perspectival. It's, it's really difficult to just look at something and say, well, that is a hundred percent good
0: um i don't know uh well, what do we mean when we say good right we, we, we it's either moralizing the thing as in it is the right thing to do right and, and that's what i'm seeing here right uh we need to fill it with the right things we right we, the wrong things and then the right things and and i own the wrong things but if i just own the right things then i'll be happy well yeah. no, no 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 happiness is only uncovered it's never acquired and so I think there's something about forming a detente with the void. Yeah, which actually is a good segue into my uh, tweetable answer. Okay, what do you got? <laughs> which is fill the
2: void with acceptance, not stuff. Mm. So there's there's always going to be a void, I feel like. Yes. And really, that's the human condition because if we didn't have that void, we wouldn't be inspired or motivated to do anything greater than just uh, you know feed ourselves, house ourselves, and, uh, you know, reproduce. Yes. Um, But there is this void that drives us to do things like go to the moon or explore space or explore whatever it is, that those um, things that you see us exploring, that's all because there's a void Uh that we are trying to not fill, per se, but, uh, I mean, I guess we are trying to fill it. We are. But but, but it's like, it's a motivating factor. So you know, uh the the men's team that I'm on, they talk about the suckhole a lot. <laughs> the suck hole. <laughs> and uh <laughs> Josh, let's keep this uh mature. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> but but think about like a think about like a um They couldn't have picked any better. No, they couldn't <laughs> have. Think think about like a uh you like a drain, okay? Uh-huh. So at the bottom is that is that suck hole uh-huh. where it's it's sucking everything down. Yes. And I, I I'm not going to sit here and try to list out each level because it's um, like a sinkhole. I'd really? be paraphrasing. Yeah, sinkhole. You can call it that too. Um, so uh, whatever makes you not giggle no, and no, smirk. I'm,
0: no, I'm trying to. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine this as yeah. a
2: as a metaphor. Yeah, absolutely. I've I mean, never
0: heard of a suckhole. I've heard of a sinkhole.
2: It, it is. It is a metaphor. So um, there are different levels, and you know, if you're at the top, at the, I mean, like you're constantly getting dragged down. Mm. But we what, what we can stay at the top if we are doing things like you know our short-term actions aligning with our values, if uh-huh. we are you know, contributing beyond ourselves in meaningful ways. and There are different levels, and the whole idea is to avoid
0: getting sucked down the drain, uh, essentially. Well, let, me, let me say this, Jeanette, I, I think that when, we, when you hear a question like this, it presupposes one thing that we are yet to mention, and we're going to probably spend the next hour or so talking about this uh, on the maximal, but here, here's, here's where I want to go right now to wrap this up. We presuppose that the void is bad right that the emptiness is bad Mm. but think about this for a moment let's extend that metaphor when what are some of the most beautiful places on earth you go into a if even it's man-made like a museum they're relatively empty compared to most spaces we go in it's beautiful now it's curated and it appears to be mostly empty but we enjoy that emptiness. In fact, it removes the chaos. Now, mm. what about natural voids? The Grand Canyon comes to mind. Yeah. Now, imagine if I went to the Grand Canyon, and I'm like, how do I fill this? <laughs> and I've got an idea. I'll fill it with water. Well, that's what's happened. It just widens the void. It makes the canyon wider, right? Right. It extends. And so we try to fill the void, and it always widens it whenever we try to to fill it with stuff or achievements or whatever it is. And so I like your answer because it's sort of a double entendre. Like, we can accept other people. We can respect them. But we can also accept, respect, and appreciate The void the emptiness and and what i like about your podcast it seems to be an exploration of that emptiness in a way not to fix it but to better understand it Mm -hmm. to form a detente with it because if we can do that if we really understand the emptiness Mm -hmm. we can realize like oh this isn't a bad thing i don't have to fill it my culture has simply told me that it's supposed to be filled Mm -hmm. because i fill the grand canyon i'm actually going to Decrease its beauty In yeah. a way
3: 100% That's actually Partially why I named it Empty Inside I like to name thing, I like to name Any of my projects With titles that are Sort of offensive Or that seem prickly Or seem scary Or seem one way And then if you just Give it a chance You just give it A couple minutes Of your time Hopefully you find out That there was actually A different intention Behind
0: it You did a, a one woman show Can you I give did. me The title oh, of that so I'm
3: glad my mom died Oh thanks for coming Ryan That yeah. was so nice of you To come That was, it was, awesome. was You were sitting front row And it just made The whole thing So much more enjoyable For me
0: <laughs> That's awesome Yeah yeah. And, and so yeah, there is something about that where you you jab someone. and It's not in the clickbaity way. And I'm so grateful you don't do that. But it's in a way that that evokes a particular emotion. and makes me feel one way. Yeah. And then it's like, well, the same thing with empty inside. Yeah, we're all empty. And that's okay, yeah that's where the beauty is with minimalism, yes. the bones are the beauty. we get down to the essence of the thing where the form matters so much less when you get down to the the essence it's it's a particular kind of the simplicity is is elegant in a way, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, we just complicate it by you know, trying to fill the Grand Canyon, yeah, or trying to fill the art museum with all this stuff, yeah. then all of a sudden it's not art anymore, it's just trash,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, I mean I, yeah, I feel like and I was totally guilty of this i just spent all my time figuring out okay what can i put in that sinkhole that is going to stop it stop me from sinking Mm -hmm. and like you said like it's nothing is going to fill it completely Mm -hmm. um you can't fill the grand canyon
0: you can fill it with air maybe (laughs) right but even then (laughs) yeah it's full and the thing is when you show up to the grand canyon it's awe-inspiring yeah you respect it yes it's And you wouldn't even have the thought of trying to fill it. Mm. But if everyone told you you were supposed to fill it, Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden you would, yeah, I guess, I don't know, this seems daunting. And it would be daunting. It's trying to fill the Grand Canyon. You're not going to fill it. And we need to find, explore ways to become comfortable in that emptiness. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about that a lot more. But first, we have some voicemail comments and insights from our listeners. Check them out.
4: Hello, this is Lari from Brazil and I would like to share my experience with living Facebook. I once had 5000 Facebook friends because I believed this would bring me more business. It did not. These people were collecting me, like one more pin for the Pinterest board of friends as was I. So, I started to unfriend them one by one and once I got to only people I actually knew, I still had over 400 friends there's no way that keeping in touch with 400 people would add value to my life. So I decided to ignore the potential backlash and unfriend until I was down to close friends only. And guess what? There was zero backlash because these people did not actually care about me as much as I did not actually care about them. The next step seemed so obvious to me. All my close friends have my number, so why not limit these interactions to actual conversations and delete Facebook altogether? It's been over a year and I never looked back.
1: Hey guys, so I have been trying to live a more sustainable and ethical life, and that is how I came across your podcast. On many episodes, and especially the one about clothing, you guys discussed buying things responsibly and suggested a few companies that share your values. I wanted to share how this can be applied not just to things, but also with everyday um, consumable items that obviously you cannot buy secondhand, such as cleaning supplies, beauty, bath and body items, skincare, and many other. Many of the standard companies uh, that you find in stores don't have the most sustainable or ethical practices. Most cleaning or beauty brands use dirty palm oil, others use harsh chemicals and uh, many other things so this has led me to discover and support smaller businesses so for example i buy natural deodorant lotions and all my um, bath items from an etsy shop there are many out there i just picked the one closest to me and it's all natural and homemade i buy my dishwashing and laundry detergent from drops that's spelled d-r-o-p-p-s It gets shipped to my house, and you can look on their website about their awesome social and environmental responsibility. It is also plastic-free. It's just little pods that come in a box. My favorite uh, brand is my toilet paper and paper towel brand. They're called Who Gives a Crap? It is a bit more pricey, but they donate 50% of their profits to building toilets in third third world countries. Uh, where lack of sewage systems affects health, and many children die from this. So it is a great way to help by doing something as simple as, well, wiping your butt. <laughs> Plus, their emails are always funny with the toilet puns, and they make uh, reports showing their latest donations and impacts. Those are just a few of my favorite alternatives. There are many more out there if you do your research. So if you can, don't just focus responsible purchasing to clothes and things, but also to everyday things
0: all right y'all we got a bunch more surprise questions for our maximal episode this thursday on patreon but first real quick for right here right now here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalists ryan sometimes when you watch something it becomes binge worthy Mm. right you hear this term binge worthy it means you can sit down and watch all the episodes at once yeah well thankfully we have a new binge-worthy series on YouTube. It's called Let's Talk About Less. It's a six-episode series, and you can seriously sit down and binge these, because all the episodes are like three, four, five minutes long, max. Mm-hmm. And Jordan directed these. He did such a phenomenal job with uh, the typefacing and the music and the ambiance. The series is called Let's Talk About Less. And really what we do is, it's a video essay series that explores a specific problem that was created by Consumerism. So there's things like let's talk about minimalism, is the very first episode. Yeah. Let's talk about the economy. Let's talk about technology. Let's talk about social media. Let's talk about debt. Yeah. And with each one of these problems, we really talk about the problem behind the problem. Mm. Because it often feels like, well, too much stuff is the problem. And that's true. But what is the problem behind that problem? And what we do is we examine that. It's called Let's Let's Talk About Less. And you can find it over at youtube.com slash The Minimalist. It's right there on the main page. You can binge watch all six episodes from the first season. Ryan, for our added value this week, Uh, have you been listening to justin bieber's new album no you know you were playing it oh uh, that's right we went hiking yeah you were
2: playing it on the way to hiking and uh oh it was so cute to hear ella like singing to it that was adorable
0: it was Uh, but i haven't listened to it since i totally forgot about it and well the song i want to play out today is is lonely from the new album the album's called Mm -hmm. justice by the way and since we're really talking about the emptiness, the emptiness inside, especially on the Maximum episode, we're going to talk about uh, the void. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that make us feel quite often? It makes us feel lonely. Yeah. And one of the things you see in a song like Lonely by Justin Bieber is, oh, all of this so-called success is incredibly isolating. Yeah. And it creates a new kind of emptiness. Yep. So let's listen to Lonely from Justin Bieber's new album, Justice. By the way, we have a bunch more surprise questions this week, like, Why do we eat so much? How do we fill that void with something other than food? People often feel empty as a result of fewer social connections or relationships that feel one-sided. What can we do to foster new, empowering relationships? How does one encourage their mom to declutter? What language can we use that is compassionate and not insulting? Plus, we have a million more questions for Jeanette and the Minimalists. And if you want to hear all that, join us on the Minimalist Private Podcast this Thursday. Visit theminimalists slash support to subscribe to our Patreon, and you'll get a personal link so that our private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. It keeps our show one hundred percent advertisement free you can follow the minimalist on Facebook Twitter and Instagram at the minimalists come to one of our live podcast shows visit the minimalistscom slash tour to find a city near you if you have a question comment or minimalism tip for our podcast email a voice memo to podcast at the minimalists com if you want our show notes in your inbox sign up for our email list over at the Minimalists.com. You'll also receive any new minimalist writings for free right there in your inbox. And if you leave here today with just one message, let it be this love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time.
1: Everybody knows my name now, but something about it still feels strange. Like looking in a mirror trying to steady yourself and seeing somebody else And everything is not the same now It feels like all our lives have changed Maybe when I'm older it'll all calm down But it's killing me now What if you had it all But nobody to call Maybe then you'd know me